I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop. So first, I just wanted to say that this book is genuinely amazing. It was like when I got an email when they were like, oh, would you like to interview Ruby about the book in front of some people? I was like, in front of people? Oh, God. And I was like, but actually, this is like my favourite book of the past like two, three years. So definitely 100%. Um, so, yeah, it's probably not a good idea to start off a Q&A about food and eating when you're desperately hungry. I'm so hungry right now. Wow. <laughs> um, too. Yeah. We should yeah. go for a meal after this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, me and Ruby have, uh, have met twice now and we've been out for food. Ruby is like one of the best eating partners I've ever been lucky enough to, to share a meal with, actually. Because she, like, she really obviously loves food. So she was like, let's get three pastas instead of two. And I was like, yes. Um, but yeah, so um, let's, let's start the Q&A now. Um, so yeah, this could be, I guess, like one of the first books many young women read about food. I know for me, like it certainly was. I don't think I've ever sort of read a, a really in-depth like sort of memoir slash manifesto slash recipe book and everything else that it is about food before. Um, how are you sort of like handling that responsibility? Like what do you want young women to take from this this text? Um, it's actually a big one yeah. because someone actually asked me this earlier and I was like, that's funny because I've not actually thought about that before and I really should think about that. <laughs> it's a big responsibility. But um, I think what guided me was knowing that in the book, I didn't want to tell anyone how to eat. I mm. think that was the very core of it. And so that really informed this this philosophy and also this like uh, comfort knowing that I'm actually not going to be dictating to anyone. I'm not going to be suggesting things that aren't attainable. I'm not going to be like guiding people's diets in ways that are not healthy for them because I'm not telling them anything mm. about how they should eat or when or why or where or with who. Mm -hmm. And it's all about... Um, it's about finding peace with your own relationship with food and it's about working towards that relationship no matter what it looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some comfort in knowing I'm not dictating things to people, but that's not to say there's not still a responsibility there and obviously, like, I am worried. Mm -hmm. But, you know, tried my hardest, fingers yeah. crossed, you know. No, that makes sense. And I suppose, do you think that you are sort of still working through your own relationship with food in the same way? Like, is this book, is, is it as much about sort of your own learning process as it was about being like, this is how you guys should hopefully approach food too? Yeah, like, I, I'm, not, I'm not an expert on mm. anything. I'm very much like a jack of all trades, um, barely even that. So, like, when I was writing, I was learning as I went. Mm. And... All of these stories are things that, like, the, the, the book is full of these citations, which are, like, really, like, 
really lowbrow citations can I just add like it's it we're not talking philosophy here we're talking like Rihanna and yeah. the Khalifa that's why I liked so, like, her so much because I was like I can relate to this you know yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know Chris Jenner had a cookbook until you sort of mentioned it in the, <laughs> I was like brilliant yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I could talk about that all day but that's for <laughs> another yeah. occasion yeah, yeah fair enough um yeah but I think it was a process like I was learning as I wrote it and like every story I've included is like some little bit that I just desperately wanted to tell everyone like mm. Leah my girlfriend has heard these stories a million times because I love to bore her to death with like yeah. how cats can't taste sugar or whatever yeah, yeah. you know like these are all <laughs> so just like exciting. interesting oh yeah so we were downstairs and I started telling Ruby this what I thought was a really original anecdote about beaver's bums um, <laughs> and then I realized actually it was something that she'd written about, written about in the book <laughs> so yeah. I don't know if you could tell everyone about this beaver's bums this is the bums. kind of like high level content you can expect from yeah. my book <laughs> um, yeah so beaver's bums uh so vanillin is a flavor compound that is in vanilla extract. It's the thing that mainly tastes like vanilla, even though there's a million other flavor compounds. That's like the main one. And there's a substitute for that called castorium, which is extracted from beaver's anal glands. <laughs> and uh, it, so it is used as a substitute for vanilla flavor. But you'll be pleased to hear only about a ton of it is used in the world annually, so oh, good. chances are you won't <laughs> you come across it. It's just like, how did someone discover that the anal glands of well. the It's like vanilla. So strange. Um, but speaking of flavours, obviously your last cookbook, um, mm. in fact your last two cookbooks, um, were, were really great. And yeah, I, I suppose I want to know why you decided to move away from that format. Like, it's sort of very traditional. You do the Bake Off, you release a cookbook, but yeah. you're like, nah, let's like... Like, F that, let's do something different. Yeah, I think I started to feel a bit... Um, I really noticed it when it came to, like, promoting the cookbooks. Mm. And you went to go out there and be like, yay, like, guys, I'm so happy to share my recipes with you. <laughs> and I didn't feel that way. I was, you know, obviously I was proud of the recipes I'd come up with, but at the end of the day, you can get recipes anywhere. Mm. Like, we, we live in the internet age, mm -hmm. you know? You, you, most of us, like, no matter how many unread cookbooks you have on your shelves, you will Google for that recipe. Yeah, it's so know? true, actually, yeah. So um, I just felt like, what what am I really putting out there that's of value? What am I putting out there that's new? Mm. Which is why I wanted to do something really different with this one, I think. Yeah, And now sure. I can be like, yeah, guys, where's my book? Yeah, yeah. So are you <laughs> feeling, at, at the moment, are you feeling proud of it and that you want to share it with the world? And, yeah, yeah, I feel good. proud. And that actually adds a whole new anxiety that I hadn't felt before, which is <laughs> wanting it to do well. Yeah, so, yeah. With <laughs> yeah. the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously there are some recipes in the book yeah. and we've spoken before about how you decided to sort of write them in a really creative way but I guess none of you guys have read it yet so you don't know what they're going to look like um could, I guess could you tell tell the audience about like how you sort of came up with the idea of writing more <coughs> creatively around your recipes I mean I think that it was the approach to the recipe writing was kind of decided by the context in which they'd sit so these aren't recipes for you know, to tell you how to cook really as much. They're not recipes designed to like expose you to some new cuisine you've never explored. It's to do with telling the story that the actual text itself mm. tells. So like, for example, there's one section in the book, there's a chapter called The Magic, and it's all about what it means when you cook, what it means when you pre prepare foods mm -hmm. for that moment of consumption. Like, 
magic of it, you know? Yeah. It's wonderful. It's wonderful smelling garlic on your fingers for a while and then it gets wearing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and stuff like that. And so there's a recipe, for example, for how to eat a cream egg. Yeah, that's my favourite one. So, wait, let, let me just get it up. I think, yeah, I've got it here. Yeah, so this is just the end of it. And oh, no. so, yeah, I'm going to read it out. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so Ruby, Ruby has written, Imagine the wax, waxiness of the chocolate on your lips. Think about dipping your tongue into the sickly sweet fondant inside and def, deftly, explicitly licking it out, which is something that I think we've all done before. And it's such a, it's like, it's just, you know, like when you've got a cream egg and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah, right. But anyway. <laughs> um, and yeah, I guess, do you like the idea of the book being sort of like a manifesto, which is how it's kind of described okay. on the blurb? Yeah, I think so. And I think... It's tricky because it really shouldn't be a manifesto in mm. the sense that I'm not saying anything in there that should be radical. Mm -hmm. Like this idea that you you have the tools within yourself to figure out what you need to eat, to figure out what feels good for you. Like that shouldn't be radical. Unfortunately, everything's got so muddled and tied mm. up that it becomes radical because the world is so fucked up. That's yeah, basically yeah. it. <laughs> so it's a manifesto because it has to be. Yeah. But I mean, I suppose that you touched on, on the history of how this all came about, and especially to do with sort of wellness and clean eating and stuff. Mm. But you also sort of touched on the fact that we've always been a bit mad when it comes to food. And like, this has gone on for a really long time. So yeah. like, do you think it is possible that we can move towards a place where we, where we look at food in a more health, healthy way? I yeah, guess? I mean, it, it is fascinating just how, like, absolutely balmy we've been with foods, like, yeah. forever. Like, people used to think that we have, like, humours inside and there's, like, a wet one and a hot one. And, <laughs> and you balance it out, like, oh, you, you're feeling lovelorn, like, have something moist, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, 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 it's so funny. But the thing is, like, what's funnier is that we actually replicate that thinking even now. Yeah. Like, we think we're so logical, we think we're so clever, mm. you know, oh, we know my, our calorie counts, we've got an app for counting this mm -hmm. and that. But, like, I mean, when it comes down to it, like, we make these value judgments based on people, based on the kind of foods they're eating and there was this wonderful thing that I read that I, I've written about in the book and it was where two groups of people were told about a fict fictional tribe yeah and one tribe supposedly a um boar I think okay and the other one allegedly ate turtles and these groups of people were asked to like say what they thought the people would be like and uh the ones that were told the tribe ate boar were like, yeah, I think they're probably stocky and aggressive. <laughs> and the ones yeah. that were told the tribe ate turtle were saying stuff like, I think they're probably wise and great at swimming. Yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, we, 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 we think we're so above it and we're not. Yeah, not we're at really all. Not. And yeah, like when I was reading that, I was like, yeah, God, I've definitely done that before. Yeah. Like thought about sort of nuts and berries and tri yeah, tribal yeah, people yeah. and stuff like that, which is really silly. But yeah, beyond that, it's obviously also a cultural book. We've already spoken about Christian, <laughs> but yeah. it was so I suppose it, you know it, it touches on sort of art there's like a, a lovely section about films and how you relate sort of food to films do you think about the cultural context of the food that you eat and on a day-to-day -day basis do you reckon yeah in your life yeah, yeah for sure and I think I mean this is something that has always been done like people there's this wonderful cookbook called the little library cookbook mm -hmm. um and that and that's fantastic it talks about uh food in books and its recipes based on these things but 
I'm not a great reader. Yeah, she's. Uh, <laughs> I know it's so ironic. I know I wrote this book, but like yeah. my attention span is short. That's oh, why God the chapters same. in here are short. Like yeah. I, it's, it's I good for someone like to, me, though. Honestly, yeah, good, yeah. <laughs> good. Um, so like I'm not. That, that's not where my references come from. My references come from the Kardashians, mm. and they come from music videos and things <laughs> like that. That's where I get my like food inspiration from. Yeah, sure. yeah, I love that. Um, but yeah, it's also super personal. I guess we haven't really spoken about that yet. You kind of interweave these like really nice anecdotes about the people and the relationships you developed over food. Mm-hmm. Obviously, my favorite one that we've spoken about is yeah. like she was your granddad and the pear drops, which I just I feel like everyone should know about that one actually. <laughs> okay. Um, well, there's there's one little story about when I went to visit my granddad in hospital, and my my parents hadn't actually told me he was ill, but he was very ill, and uh, I took him some pear drops, which was ridiculous. I don't think he liked sweets at all. I just thought it was a gesture. You just meant to take someone yeah, something, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. And I like I, I went into the room, and he looked at me, and he turned his head away, and he was looking really small in his bed, and I sat there for half an hour crying with pear drops in my hand because I couldn't bring myself to say oh it's actually me like you do actually know me don't worry I'm not like another nurse you you know who I am and I couldn't do it yeah and so I had this little offering with me and I I just couldn't give it over over. Yeah, yeah yeah which I I think that's like part of it I mean it just it fucking sums me up like ridiculous <laughs> like you, you've gone to the effort of buying pear drops but you can't say hello but so that's human me. though <laughs> <laughs> so human that's the reason why i liked it so much because i feel like it's something that you know everyone's been in a situation yeah. where they know the correct thing to do yeah. and they just haven't done it and like yeah i just thought that was really nice and then there was another really nice anecdote about um ruby when she's she's got had the, you had this kind of weird relationship with a girl at was at a uni and over food oh God, and yeah. and you, you kept, <laughs> they kept on like kind of beefing yeah. in, in your house house share yeah. but then they'd like bond over food yeah. so like yeah that that made me laugh as well because i've definitely had relationships with people where we've only sort of gotten over like one aspect of our lives whether that be drinking together yes. or like anything else but yeah, yeah. that was um God, we had drama. We had really? drama. Yeah, it, it all poured into the food. So it was yeah. it all condensed in these rancid little plates of lentils that we'd kind of throw across the table to each other. Have that, you know. Yeah. God, it was really it was, you know, it was the best. <laughs> not good. Um, but just just generally, I sort of one of the things I really admire about you is the fact that you are so actively anti snobbery about sort of everything um, in your life and. And obviously that was reflected when you did your wise column about like fast foods and sort of yeah reviewing them as like a sort of normal reviewer would go to like a Michelin starred restaurant yeah. which was good um how do you think that sort of bleeds into the book i guess in a food and non-food related way that sort of anti-snobbery and refusing to sort of deem anything as lowbrow <laughs> i mean i think like part of the reason why i feel this way is like I'm, I come from like a, a working class family mm. in Essex and then I get onto this like TV show through some kind of random fucking whim. <laughs> Never pursue your whims. That's what I can say. Like it's, and, and so I just got launched into this career I never ever would have stood a chance of getting into mm. if I hadn't had that weird launch pad. And so, um, you know, like I'm not now that I've got to this wonderful point where I'm allowed to write a book and that be like, oh, actually like Essex is shit or... You know, actually, mm. fish and chips, you can only get it in this one place down a back alley. And yeah, it was yeah. like, come on. Yeah, like, yeah. I hate that the food world is full of that snobbery. Mm-hmm. And actually, like, 
I just feel like if food's popular, then it, it is good. Yeah, you know, yeah. People like it. It's good for a reason. You know, <laughs> I, I hate the the elitism of it all. For sure. Yeah. Is um. Do you feel like you have been accepted into that kind of food world? Like, do you like you know? Do you ever rub shoulders with like Jay Rayner or like Marina Hyde or anything? <laughs> She's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I. It's it's a tricky one because like I. I I've, I like professionally burn bridges. Like <laughs> Leah will tell you this. She has to like wrestle me away from the computer sometimes when about to send like particularly like noxious tweet. Like I keep myself warm from the bridges I've burned. Like nice. it really is like my life. So even if I really respect that though. Thank you. Thank you. Someone has to. Um, even if I wanted to be part of some of the, the you know the food establishment whatever like i don't think they'd have me by now i've been too rude I'm oh, afraid. <laughs> um but you know what like obviously i i'm like within the establishment to a degree i've been able to write this book i've got mm. an enormous amount of privilege in being able to do so but there's there are many other echelons beyond that, that yeah yeah i have no interest in excellent good glad to hear it <laughs> um but yeah speaking of privilege um so, like, the book is sort of is, is very intersectional, 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 um, and you sort of touch on on the you know sort of uh, I think there's a, there's a great sort of chapter where you're talking a lot about sort of fat phobia and all that mm. kind of stuff. Um, how like why did you decide to include that in in the in the text? Because I think so many food books are like guilty by omission. Like they they you know like the stuff they include like quite often is like reasonably like mundane and harmless mm. but they don't talk about the stuff that they don't absolutely have to so they mm -hmm. won't talk about politics they won't talk about you know food poverty they won't talk about mm -hmm. fat phobia and and so they just like potter along in this like lovely little apolitical food world mm. where like the biggest thing you have to worry about is what kind of fish slice to get and I didn't want it to be that kind of book and mm. I wanted to you know, if I'm if I'm talking about racism, then I have to talk about fat phobia. It's mm. important, especially because I am a slim person, and I would not be sitting here being allowed to do this talk, mm. being allowed to talk the way I do about food, if I had a different body. It just wouldn't happen. Yeah, because the food industry, as with so many industries, is so deeply, deeply mm -hmm. fat phobic. Yeah, and I, I guess is that one of the reasons why you're so? Because I've noticed on social media and stuff, you're really keen to engage your readership into these discussions and sort mm. of promote other people's voices is is that one of the reasons why you're keen to do that as well to sort of bring other people up alongside you yeah i mean it's i just i wanted i think in the book i wanted to make sure that i wasn't speaking for people mm. so for example in the section about fat phobia like that is probably the section that is most writing light on my mm. part most of it is quotes from other people. Yeah. I outsourced some like opinions from other people, and they, yeah. they've contributed there. And because I'm not going to do that talking, it's not for me to say. Like yeah, all I sure. can say is I I have a lot of privilege in being able yeah. to do this. Yeah, there was a great quote from Bethany, I yeah, think, yeah. who wrote in your your zine, which yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I can't remember off the top of my head, but look out for it. So it's a strong yeah. strong quote. It is a strong quote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess did you aim for the book to be teachable in any way because like I, I've told Ruby this before but um 
So my mum is like one of those people who loves like dieting fads. Like she'll like at the moment she's doing this thing where she's like brewing her own yogurt. So like there's the house is just like <laughs> filled, filled with like kefir <laughs> next to radiators, and they've got these little like tea cozies on them. <laughs> I'm just like this is not gonna elongate your life, mother. Like it's, it's fine. Um, so I'm gonna send her a copy of the book and just oh be like read God. this, and and I think she'll learn from it. But like, were you thinking of like people like my mother? I don't, I mean, I'm always <laughs> thinking about people like your mother. I love mums. Yeah. I'm sorry to say it. I think about mums all day, every day. Like, big up the mums in the room. I absolutely love you. Like, I think it's. I think basically, I just. I want. I don't want it to be just like me preaching at like. At, at people who already know the score. Mm. So I want like, you know, your mum who's brewing her own yogurt to read it and be like. Okay, I don't have to do this. And do you know what? If she loves putting her yogurt by the radiator, then like I'm, I want you her to do that. I want her to find purpose in life. But, oh God. Um, yeah, I just. Oh, mom. I know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe. Now I feel bad about. <laughs> what talking about. Yeah, I should be more supportive of her efforts to, to yeah, to embrace yogurt making. Um, but yeah, more generally, like, how do you think you developed your sort of counter narrative to wellness and, like, where did that come from? Because like I know that it's it's something for me anyway that I definitely had to learn through through educating myself and reading stuff like this. Uh, I think I don't really know. Mm. I don't really know. Sometimes I feel like just like an anger descends one day and I'm just like, okay, who shall I direct it at? Yeah. No, that's what, like, that, this isn't, no, I shouldn't say that because someone will run with that. That's not true. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think I was just, I was seeing so much of it. Like I, when I was at university, I was vegan for a while. And for me, that coincided with like some of the worst ebbs of my eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And part of what I loved about being vegan at the time was that, it allowed me the freedom to go out and not be tempted by things. Mm. That was just my personal thing. That's not the case for everyone. Mm -hmm. But then, so when clean eating came along, I saw so many people operating on a similar logic. And it's like, okay, like, don't worry, I don't have to come out for dinner with you because I can't eat anything with you anyway. So, you know, it just, it, I mean, there's a lot of comfort in having choice stripped away from you. It gives you a little blanket of like safety. Like Mm. you've got two options and you just choose one of the options to safe. I saw that and that was sad enough, you know, it, it, it's sad to see people restricting the diet in that way. But what made me angry was seeing the industry that was fueling it. Mm-hmm. And I saw publishers who were like, there was one in particular, and I can't remember which publishing house it was, but they were publishing this like 16 year old ex-anorexic oh God. who was doing a, a, a like clean eating book and she was a ballerina, which is already a career rife with problems to do with yeah, that. Yeah. It's just like, where, where, you know, where, where's your sense of, like, responsibility? Where's your, yeah. like... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Compassion in your care, like mm-hmm. you can't put someone out there like that to Yeah. And, and sure. exploit them in that way, so that yeah, that's where the yeah, no, definitely. I remember watching. Did you watch uh, Grace F. Victory's um, mm. documentary on yes. the BBC, and yeah. it sort of touched on on sort of similar themes. Yeah. But you you've made a point of sort of putting in the back of the books and like resources for people mm. who are maybe going through similar things that yeah. you went through as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and was that sort of like a conscious choice? Like I don't, you know, I don't, I want to help people in that respect. Yeah, for sure, and I w- I want people to. I want people to find the resources that are out there, and I'm not the oracle. Mm. Like I do not know all the answers, and I I actually see the book as kind of a collaborative effort. Like, like I put lots of the words on the page, but like these ideas have been floating around. Mm. Like I just condense them into this particular format, and I'm not going to be the end of someone's journey. I hope that this will just like encourage people to ask the questions that will get them started. Which mm. is why I want to provide the resources page so that people who go forward, you know, go yeah. forth and eat. Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, and like, are you hopeful that there will be a change, or do you? I mean, in our lifetimes, in terms of this rhetoric. I don't know. I'm having a futile day, so I feel like no. Okay. <laughs> we'll speak to her tomorrow, and she'll be like, yeah, it could be. Yeah. But um, no, I, I think that the, I mean, the wellness stuff, the clean eating, that will that will die a death. Yeah. Thank God. But something else will pop up in its place. Yeah, like there is always something, and it always very cleverly exploits our our weakness at yeah. the moment. So, sure. I mean, I guess I guess part of part of the reason I wanted to write this is because I wanted to give people a firm foundation of valuing themselves, mm-hmm. feeding themselves, seeing some worth in giving their bodies the fuel that they need, and then that's the foundation. And then if someone comes along with some kind of toxic rhetoric to try and like knock you off kilter like you'll have a bit more of yeah a bit, a bit more strength to resist that yeah. yeah I really like that um but yeah so bringing it back to the the some of the things that we find inside the book um one of the most interesting things um was a chapter on sort of food appropriation that mm-hmm. I really enjoyed um and wh- why do you think that's a conversation that we should be having right now especially in London I suppose yeah so <laughs> we are right now I mean there's one uh so my my <laughs> my friends from who is from Singapore, mm. He we studied at, at uni together and he went to this um, pan-Asian, allegedly, okay. pop-up restaurant experience somewhere in East London and he went there with his Singaporean friends and this it was staffed entirely by white people, this place, and this white guy came up to them with the menus and was like, hey, I'd love to offer you the authentic Asian experience, what can we get you today? Oh. And I mean, they were just sitting there, like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is this the authentic Asian? Yeah, experience? yeah, yeah. Like, what? You know, am I not authentically Asian? You know, it was, it was, it yeah. was ridiculous. And uh, I, I always think about that when I think about appropriation. And I mean, for me, that is like, it just kind of encapsulates it. It's just like this assumption that because you've learned how to cook. I, I don't know, cook like rice properly <laughs> or because you can pronounce fur, then like yeah. that's it. You've got it. You've got it down and you can tell someone how to be Asian or you yeah, can tell yeah. someone like what their country is like yeah, or yeah. whatever. Like, 
it's, it's just this conceptual leap from like an item to a culture yeah. that you cannot make. Yeah. And that's not to say you can never enjoy this food. It's mm -hmm. not to say you can't cook it. It's not even to say you can't necessarily make money from it. But I mean, you've got to like be considering what your impact is at yeah, every single sure. stage. Yeah, I really like because obviously you talk about how you know, as, as a person who loves food from all over the world, like you don't want to limit yourself in that way, right. but also sort of like referencing the fact that like, I think the example uh, example we either spoke about or is in the book was about like, if you're going to make like, like a Bangladeshi restaurant in a Bangladeshi area, but yeah. you're not Bangladeshi, yeah. then you have to make sure that it's priced in line with like what people, like the locals can afford, which yeah. I thought was like such a yeah. great point. You've got to like employ people that mm. are from that community. You've got to make sure it's affordable for that community. You've got to like consult with them. You've got to like mm. not be the big bad boss, you know, like it, you just have to like be really conscious at every single stage. Yeah. And I wouldn't know how to navigate that. Like I, I do not know all about this. But yeah, yeah. a starting point is like taking it slow and having some respect. Yeah, for sure. There's a there's this um there's a particular actually no, I'm not gonna reference them because I'll get in trouble. But there's there's this one particular um place in Southeast London at the moment that just has like this mad name about being white but making a certain cuisine and it just irritates me so much so it's like okay. you're acknowledging your whiteness while you're making I, yeah anyway it's bad okay. <laughs> but moving on <laughs> swiftly onwards um so it's been like five years since you've been on Great British Bake Off now I think is that right five okay. yeah and <laughs> <laughs> have you blanked it out was it that traumatic <laughs> I feel like I've aged like 15 years. Really? So, yeah. That's funny. Um, yeah, and I think you reference, you do reference it a couple of times in the book, but not sort of in depth. Do you yeah. think that like with the move to Channel 4, that it's kind of like st kind of start to lose its appeal? Like, Surely. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I had to ask, I had to ask. Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I'll be honest, like I couldn't watch it until recently because the theme song brought me out in hives. Like I did <laughs> started sweating really? like I couldn't deal with it and then um Leah insisted that we had to watch some so um so I've, I've slowly like got used to yeah. that particular trauma but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not an avid watcher no. yeah I know yeah I I quite enjoyed the series yeah, but I thought it was interesting what you said to me about how it just being fully out of character for you to even apply for it yeah 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 like what was going on there <laughs> do you know what like I'm not sure and I, it, it was like this really backwards process where I wanted to learn to bake and I thought like, do you know what makes sense? I'll enter a baking show <laughs> and then that'll make me learn to bake. Well, it did, that was didn't it? genuinely the logic I, I used and you can tell I did not finish my philosophy degree. That was, <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it was just a weird one. It was a weird, weird, weird win. Yeah, no, but I mean a good win because it has led to yeah, beautiful things. Yeah. Like in a sense, I don't regret it, but also like, we live with our traumas every day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, honey. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, one of the sort of bits of the book that sort of stood, stayed with me was um, this idea of delicious, nourishing food being like a fundamental right. Um, and I guess like that would take a food revolution. Um, how do you think that you've sort of contributed to that or how do you think that we should contribute to that as sort of like people who care about the world and food yeah I guess uh, I mean there's I mean there's so much like you I mean you cannot like cover everything mm. one thing that excited me recently actually was about um, 
this woman was heading up some kind of charity initiative about uh, food in prisons mm -hmm. and about the quality of food in prisons. It's abysmal for what yeah. it's worth. It's absolutely abysmal. And um, there, there's loads of like fascinating stuff about how like you know about people in prison being given, for example, birthday cake. You know that might mm. be part of like a very limited ration, and I mean like limited. And people getting up in arms, newspapers running headlines like, how dare our prisoners get birthday cake, yeah. look what they did. And food is such a tool of control. It's mm. an absolute tool of control. And, you know, in the same way that you can empower someone by feeding them, you can disempower them by depriving them of food. And so, like, I think the main thing that anyone could do is, like, look around, look for food banks mm -hmm. to start with. Look at what you can do for prisons mm -hmm. like that campaigning for things like that even um jane fonda i think it was <laughs> did like some kind of like campaigning on the dakota access pipeline oh, cool. like handing out meals to people like that is that is yeah, what it yeah. is to like really feed people and make them strong and be yeah. revolutionary with food yeah i just thought that. it'd be jane fonda but i know of all people yeah. yeah and it got me thinking as well about um the that lovely sort of bit in the book where you're talking about the Black Panther breakfast yeah. scheme, which was like a really nice sort of piece of history, which I just never heard of. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you could tell, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, like, I mean, obviously, like, you know, what the Black Panthers did in general, but like mm. this huge part of their work that gets overlooked a lot is like their social and community kind of little initiative things that they ran. And I say a little, but mm. I mean, this breakfast thing wasn't little. It was a free breakfast program, mainly for school children, I think it began yeah, as, yeah. but I, th I, I think they just took in waifs and strays and just fed them. And it was incredible that they, they were feeding like tens of thousands of people mm -hmm. by the end of it. And I think part of the reason that it gets, uh, gets lost in history is because it was mainly the work of these women who you know, they're, they're the ones there, like, on the front line in the community, like, mm. literally feeding the people who are going to make the change, mm -hmm. which is, a, like, the most re revolutionary thing you can do, but because sure. it was women's work, maybe it didn't get quite the... Yeah, the press that yeah. it should have done. Well, they, yeah, they say that quite a lot with, sort of, the work that the Black, black Panthers did, that the black women were, sort of, the backbone of the community. Yeah, yeah. Um, you kind of touch, actually, on your racial identity, like, a little bit within the book. There's, obviously, um, the bit about learning to make foo -foo, uh, the ground nuts, too, sorry, yeah. Yeah. After your granddad passes away, yeah, yeah. Um, and I really like that. Obviously, being mixed race myself, I sort of really identified with that. Like searching for your identity. Yeah. Um, what What was it like to sort of put a pen to paper to write that bit of the? I think I still live in fear that my aunt is going to read it <laughs> because my aunt Esther, she's uh, eighty something now, and I asked her for help about how to make groundnut soup. And I didn't hear anything back. Weeks passed, months passed, and then I get a special delivery letter oh. through the mail, <laughs> and it and I'm, it has this like illegible scrawl on it. And I open it up, and it's, she's put like twenty stamps on it. She's absolutely wow. like she went to town. <laughs> yeah, she, I mean, it, it, honestly, I, I don't know what she was thinking. But um, and then inside, all it is is a recipe and a scrawled family tree. And the recipe is it said ground nut soup. It was all in caps. Yeah, ground nut soup. <laughs> Tomatoes for or any amount. <laughs> Helpful. Peanut butter, sun pat only. Okay. Chicken. And that, that, I mean, that was it. And then, yeah. and then some kind of like mad instructions. I don't know what she was on. And then uh, this family treat. Anyway, it, it was the most Ghanaian thing I've ever seen in my life. I don't know what she was thinking. 
But um, yeah, I'm worried. She, I wrote that in the book, and at some point she's going to read it, and she's going to be very upset with me. Oh. But, uh, well, <laughs> She'll yeah. be either be upset or sort of really pleased that you have actually put it, put it in there. Well, I she guess. will say that it's my fault for not going to her to learn, and she knows what she's right. Yeah, because you still haven't <laughs> been to visit her, right? Well, I mean, I've I've seen her. Like, she actually lives in London. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not that be in trouble far away. Yeah. Oh, I'm in mean, yeah. trouble on every count. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think yeah, I think you need to go yeah, and see I do. her and I do. get the proper yeah proper yeah. stuff. Um, and yeah, I guess to sort of finish up before we take some questions from the audience. Um, yeah, I was just wondering if you could tell us about like one of your most memorable meals recently. What have you eaten recently that's been great and that you'd oh. like to share with the share what with the would audience? I like to share. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'll be honest. I've been having this is terrible. A lot of TV dinners, nice. and let me tell you why. Because there's a new Channel Four series called Ooh. Kiri on. Okay, isn't it great? <laughs> and so, like, food actually like has just become like a, a, a medium through which to express my anxiety while struggling <laughs> while watching Kiri. So honestly, like, what's it about? It's about a social worker okay. and this little girl who goes oh missing. It's, it's oh, God, that sounds so I stressful. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> really love it. Cool. All right, well, thank you so much. That was lovely. Thank you. Um, yeah, so does anyone have any questions? Who's going to be brave and put their hand up first? It's a really interesting conversation, and um, I can't wait to read the book. Uh, and um, it was really interesting to hear you talk about race and uh, and food and kind of food history and I guess I was interested also in gender mm. and about whether you had any reflections about kind of the gendered nature of food conversation or the food industry or yeah. uh, the wellness movement um, and kind of yeah what, what your reflections were on that. I mean yeah there's there's so much in that and it is it is something that I wrote about um, and it was almost a topic I didn't know where to start with because it is so incredibly big but one thing that I, I found myself coming back to was this idea of appetite and how much appetite you're allowed to have. And uh, I think women are very much expected to be just hungry enough, but not too hungry. And it's the same with food. It's the same with, as with sex. So it's a, it's a very like tightly controlled, policed kind of appetite that is permissible. And outside of those like confines, you know, do it at your peril, you know. So that was something I noticed a lot. And also, it was really interesting the way that certain foods are gendered even now. There was some kind of dreadful study about dating and uh, men going on dates in this psychological experiment. They tended to pick more expensive foods, apparently, obviously, as some kind of, you know, show of brilliance. And uh, <laughs> women tended to pick, actually, sadly, lighter food so to speak so I mean clearly the whole thing is gendered the whole thing is dreadful and uh, yeah <laughs> I mean the, the answer is it's horrible <laughs> um, yeah I think just I have another question but just like carrying on from that there's this whole thing on Twitter I think about girls like it'll be like a, a photo of, a, of like a skinny like pretty probably white girl um, eating a meal, like, demolishing it, and the guy, like, oh, get me a girl like this, you know? Yeah. And, it, <laughs> and it, like, it only really, like, obviously if that girl wasn't skinny and wasn't yeah. attractive, it would be a completely different, like... Because I think there's definitely a thing where you can have a massive appetite but make sure that you're, like, controlled in different ways and that you're, like, it's still aesthetic. Um, but anyway, I was... I wanted to ask about, like, the notion of food being authentic and what this means because, 
like so as I, I think I told you earlier on like recently I um, was like having a curry night and I cooked it and one of my friends was there and she's from Mumbai and I told my flatmate about this and he was like oh great like it's gonna be so authentic and I was like <laughs> I mean <laughs> like okay I, I don't know if you had any thoughts on like what food means to be like what this whole motion of like food being authentic means mm. yeah I mean it's so tricky because like yeah what does make authenticity like honestly what does and this is actually a conversation I've been having loads at home recently because my girlfriend is half Filipino and so we've been trying to cook plenty of Filipino food but her mum has very very set ideas about what a correct way is to make adobo for example like very set idea and so we've been like striving for that authenticity, so to speak, you know, like trying to get exactly the right amount of onions, brown them exactly the right amount and so on. <laughs> and I'm, sh I'm no doubt if she saw, if Leah's mum saw what we're making, she'd be appalled. But it, I mean, it is, it is our own version of, of yeah. Filipino food. You know, it is what, it, I don't know, it makes sense to us. It makes sense to Leah. So it's really tough. And also I, what I don't, Obviously, like, there's a problem with um, people who have no connection to a place claiming that their food is, like, the authentic version of that. But also, I don't like too much of a fixation on, like, what the one true version of something is because it's so limiting. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly limiting. And, like, I mean, there are a million authentic chicken pies, for instance. Do you know what I mean? There's, a, there's this real plurality of food. And I love the idea that every single time you cook something, even if, if you know the recipe by heart or whatever, it's going to be different. I don't know. There's yeah, just like no one authentic yeah. thing, is there? It's, yeah. I really liked in the book, actually, you were talking about bending things to your taste buds. And yeah. that sort of came into the, the groundnuts to you as well, didn't it? Because that, that's something that you've changed and manipulated to make, yeah. you know, suit for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other questions? Stick your hands up. I feel like you're quite authentically you. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Wait. But if you're pissed about something, you're publicly pissed about it. <laughs> if you love something, you're happy to say you love it. Um, I feel like I'm the same, but mostly just because I have no filter. There's no kind of noble motive behind it. I wondered if that was a conscious decision on your part or just something like me, you can't help it. Uh, well, um, I... I don't know, like, I, I don't think that it's because I'm, like, particularly noble. I think there are many ways in which I'm dreadful, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I, I do just, like, I cannot deal with schmooziness. I can't deal with it. It makes me feel ill, like, I'm sweating at the thought. So, like, I, I just can't, like, suck it up. If someone's an absolute prick, like, I just I have to say it. Like, it just boils up inside. I'm an absolute fiend for gossip, you know? Like, it, it's just, I think it's just who I am. I don't have the filter, and I don't have any want to develop a filter. Yeah. What I love about reading you talk about food and, and even like the little things about when you've been tweeting about oh these little things that we love about food it's something that when you read it you're like oh my god I, I feel that way too of course of course that's what food is about of course that's how I feel but it's never my instinct to think about it that way so I'm wondering how did you start thinking about your connection to food in such in like realer terms than just the thing I eat every day um 
actually, this is a great excuse to talk about my favourite topic, which is my friend's baby, Cleo. <laughs> right, firstly, she's precious, and anyone who wants to see pictures, I've got loads on my phone. Um, secondly, like, part of it is seeing her. She's, like, nine months old now, and she, when she puts something in her mouth, she, her eyes light up, and it could be a bit of fluff she picked from her toes. She <laughs> hair. She's just absolutely delighted. And I think, like, I remember, this is like one of my favorite moments in my entire life, was taking her to the, we were at the seaside with her mum and her dad, and Leah was there as well, and I took her down to the water, and I was holding the six-month-old baby, and she was absolutely mesmerized at the fact there was an ocean there. Can you imagine seeing that for the first time, and the sun was shining, she felt on her face, and everything was magical. And it, it really made me feel like, do you know what, like, even like a limp old ham sandwich that's been at the bottom of your bag for one and a half days is absolutely rancid, like, to a baby that's magical. And it made me want to see stuff in that way. It made me want to, like, see a carrot stick and be like, oh, wow, like, that's, that's fucking cool. It tastes like carrot, you know? It made me want to, like, see that glory in boring everyday stuff. Because it does make, like, you know, even if you just have instant noodles, it, it makes it exciting. Yeah, it definitely has changed how I approach like my basic foods now. Yeah. I'm just like eating something that I've cooked, like burnt, and I'm just like, God, this does like, taste so great. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm nourishing myself. Like, Leah will confirm that I'm insufferable. I'm absolutely dreadful. I'll be like eating bread, and I'm like, the thing is, it just has this, it has this texture that's really fluid. <laughs> I'm terrible, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, you don't need to apologise to me. <laughs> I think, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this London Review Bookshop event. For more, visit our website at www.londonreviewbookshop.co.uk or search for the London Review Bookshop on iTunes. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.